Verse 27. You have heard that it was said, do not commit adultery. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, gouge it out and throw it away. For it is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it is better for you to lose one part of your body than your whole body be thrown into hell. Jumping down to verse 43. You have heard that it is said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be sons of your Father in heaven. He causes the sun to rise on evil and good and sends rain on the righteous and unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your brothers, what are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that. Therefore, be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. This is the word of the Lord. Uh, hey, my name is Thomas Nelson. I'm the young adult pastor here at Christ Covenant, and uh, we're so glad to see you tonight. We are uh, continuing in our series on the Sermon on the Mount, and uh, and so that's why we're in Matthew 5, and you might could tell from the reading, um, we are going to combine a few different parts of this tonight, um, and if, you, if you've missed it, you want to go back and check it out, just look up Christ Covenant Young Adults um, wherever you get your podcast, and you can hear the last couple of weeks um, might be helpful to get a little bit of that background. But basically, Jesus gives six statements at the end of chapter five, and he quotes a verse from the Hebrew Bible, from the Old Testament, and he says, you have heard that it was said. And he's quoting a verse, and then he says, but I tell you. And so what we're kind of exploring is are these six statements that he made. And so we looked at one very intently last week. We looked at the, the section on anger, verses 21 through 26. And tonight, we're gonna get, we're gonna get a little bit like, a little punchy on the lust part of it, um, verses 27 through 30. And then I'm gonna, we're gonna jump over divorce and oaths and retaliation and kind of land on the love your enemies part. So uh, I think you'll see that this resolves in, uh, in the gospel. I want you to know that just the power of scripture. Just, just a minute ago, I was praying because my opening was like weak and I knew it was weak. And uh, you know, if you write like, if you write sermons, um, if, you, uh, if you give talks like at work and stuff, you know you need like a, you need that good opening and you need that good closing. And people don't really care what you say in the middle. Um, and so like you, you kind of have to have the opening and some preachers are like so good at the opening. You're like, oh, tell me more. They don't even have to like reconnect the opening to anything they said. You're just like, that was a great story. Um, but we had a guy Sunday right here. Um, Chris, is Chris here? Chris? Front row. Oh, man. Chris, front row. Um, Chris got baptized. We put our baptismal right up here. And he stood right over here. If you could see the stage, there's an orange X right here. So we know, like, people know where to stand. So the camera can see him. So we can see the screen. If, um, and so, anyway, Chris shared from right here that he came to faith in Jesus by reading on his own the Gospel of Matthew. And, uh, and, and I just, as I was literally praying right over there, like, Lord, that my opening is not good, John walked back and he said, you ought to say something about um, Chris reading the book of Matthew. And I was like, this is perfect. <laughs> but part of the reason we go through verse by verse is because they are the words of God. And the words of God are living and active. 
And so maybe tonight you'll encounter the Lord, whether you've walked with him for 20 years or whether you are yet to walk with him, maybe you'll encounter the Lord as we look in the scriptures. That is our hope. Not that you remember stuff that I say, not that you remember other things that are are spoken or sung, but that you will remember the Lord met me in that moment. And so that being said, let me pray for us. Lord, I do ask that you would meet us tonight. As Will has prayed, um, Lord, as Anna came and read the passage for tonight, we just ask that you are already at work. Lord, we all carry so many burdens when we walk in the door, so many cares, um, work, family, friends, bills, all the things. Lord, would you just graciously meet us in this moment? And would you give us a word from you that we can cling to? And Lord, may we not be the same, whether it's a one degree change or 180 degree change. Would you change us, conform us to the image of Christ? It's in his name we pray, amen. So as we jump into this section in verses uh, 27 through 30, um, I I want you to know the start of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says nine times, blessed are you, blessed are you, blessed are you. And as he says those nine times, we've we've looked over the last few weeks, and I do think that that blessed uh, makarios, which is the Greek word, is actually like not the best translation. We don't really have a great translation for that word. Blessed are you. So it's just stuck for a long time. And people, other translators have been like, fine, that's a good word. But there's a guy who did like a real academic commentary and, uh, and he's used the Hebrew scriptures and the New Testament scriptures and really looked at the cultural context. And I agree with him. He believes that the best word is flourish. Jesus starts off this whole sermon and it hasn't changed when we get to what we're going to look at tonight. Flourishing are you. And he says it nine different times. But none of those times, zero, is when life externally is going awesome. Jesus knows that this life is bumpy. And so he invites us into the kingdom of heaven on earth and into his kingdom. And as we're a part of his kingdom, even when there's turbulence, especially when there's turbulence, In Christ, we can flourish. That's the beauty that he invites us into. So so let's let's take a look. I'll read um, 27 through 30 again. Jesus said, you have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. There it is. That's one of the six times he says, you heard that it was said. Then he quotes an Old Testament verse, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one of the members, one of your members than for your whole body to go to hell. If your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off, throw it away. It's better that you lose one of your members than your whole body go into hell. And so here, Jesus addresses a second sin that's found in the Ten Commandments. He first first addresses murder. In fact, I'll just show you um, on the handy-dandy iPad here. um, Here are the last five of the Ten Commandments. Last week, Jesus addressed murder. And then this week, we're looking at he addresses adultery. And then I think what we'll see at the very end is that in this statement also, he, uh, he addresses the very last 
commandment of the 10, and that is you shall not covet. And so Jesus doesn't do this for all six of these. You've heard it said, but I tell you, but just know that like, he's not picking, he, he's not picking like unheard of ideas. And so in Exodus 20, 13 through 17, the last five of the 10 commandments is you shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor, you shall not covet your neighbor's, your neighbor's house nor shall you covet your neighbor's wife or his male servant or his female servant or his ox or his donkey or anything that is your neighbor's. Now look, look how many words are used when it comes to murder. You shall not murder. Look how many words are used when it comes to covet. He's really trying to like, like God is really trying to bring home a point here that like, yeah, don't murder. Hey, let's talk about coveting for a minute. And it's, it's a big deal that he's talking about, and it fits in so perfectly to the idea of lust. So let me just ask, do you ever wonder why, we're getting into the lust part of it now, do you ever wonder why like, there is so much hesitation in commitment to relationships, you know, like the, well, what are you? Well, I don't know. He won't tell me. Or I don't know. She's like, I'm not sure. Or like, like why there's so much hesitancy in commitments? What about, do you wonder, men, why uh, you are looking for this ideal woman, a type of like Barbie Jesus? You know, like, she's like very holy and very hot. Like her Bible's worn out. And, uh, and yet she longs for you and you alone. Like, that's what you're looking for, right? That's what you're looking for. Do you ever wonder, though, like, maybe why you haven't found her? And, and for the ladies, like, do you ever wonder why you can't find, like, Superman Jesus? I asked, uh, I asked our young adult lead team, and Paul Johnson, I'll go ahead and call him out. Paul gave me this definition. I said, what's the equivalent of Barbie Jesus? And he said, I think it's Superman Jesus. And then he completed it with a definition. And so Paul said that, you know, Superman Jesus, he's like obsessed and loyal to Lois. No other females can steal his attention. He saves the world and can pretty much rescue her from anything, even while saving the world. We have this like weird idea. There's like this like perfect, godly, smoking hot woman that only wants you and, and that, by the way, is like super subjective. Or that there's this like Superman, Jesus character out there. And yet we're so slow to commit to these relationships. And you, it just, it's like confusing why we're so slow. I, I think you could sum it all up in one word. And I think the word is what Jesus uses when he says, you've heard it said, you shall not commit adultery, but I tell you, anyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent, I think you can sum this whole weird world that you live in day to think the Lord, I got married like 20 years ago, 22. I don't want to, I don't want to, I like to talk to you about your lives. I don't want to really like live your life. Um, and so like you live in a hard time to live. Like I tell people all the time, like if me and my friends would have come here, we'd have all been married in two years. Like that's just what we did. We were like, like the world's just changed. It's much more complex. So look, I, I think I've been listening to this guy. I'm hesitant to tell you who he is because some of you are like, some of you are like real stage cage people um, and you'll like look him up and hate me, but I don't care. There's other churches you can go to. Uh, his, 
This guy, Nathan Finocchio, I really, I really like some of his stuff that he and some of his theologian friends are producing. He was a Hillsong pastor and left when things started to get weird or right before things started to get weird. And like it's this whole eclectic group of folks that have some really good thoughts on theology. And he was talking about, I was listening to a, a video class that he did, a lecture he did, and he said he believes, and he and I are about the same age, he said he believes that this generation is thoroughly sex-obsessed. Like, just washed in it. And I hope I can, I hope I can prove that to you a little bit because I agree with him. Um, I'll tell you how this plays out. I, I want you to have outward-facing relationships. That's a term we use around here at Christ's Covenant. Inward-facing relationships would be people that are like-minded, other followers of Christ. That's your small groups. That's this gathering. I know not everybody here is a Christian, but like these like safe places to be Christian. But I want you to have outward-facing relationships where you're with people who do not know the Lord. I've, as a young adult, I tell you to do four things. I say, come to church on Sunday, come to young adults, be in a small group, and serve somewhere. And so serve with Billy, bless the, bless the city, serve in kids, serve in young adults. But you could feasibly do those in two days. You could knock all that out on a Sunday and a Tuesday. Like extra credit, do bless the city on a Saturday um, when everybody else is still asleep. Like you go, you serve the Lord, you feel very spiritual, and then you come back and you watch football. Uh, and so like it's, I ask you to have that. But when you do have those outward-facing relationships, it's really, really difficult because you go, you, you, you go and you're with people and you start to feel your moral compass like start to go a little sideways. Heather and I just the other day were with a bunch of young adults and I looked at her and I said, it's, so, it's gotta be so hard. It's gotta be so hard to be a strong believer and like relate and hang with all these folks all the time. And so I get it. And so what do you do? You, you actually, you, you retreat and you hang out in groups of Christians because you, you, you having a hard time like being in the world but not of it. And so you, you do everything together. Like you play pickleball, you, uh, you go to your small group, you go to church, you park next to each other, you call each other when you're like driving home. Like you're like, like you do everything together. You shop for groceries together. I've seen you. I've been in the grocery store. I'm like, they don't even live together. No, they're shopping for groceries. You wanna meet up? Yeah, let's get some groceries. Uh, like everything together. And yet, you do all of that, but you can't even date each other. It's because, I promise you, you have been poisoned with a sex-obsessed culture and you don't even know it. You've been, you've been poisoned by it. And, and you don't, you don't even realize that's why you don't date. That's, but that is where the idea of like Barbie Jesus and Superman Jesus come in. It's because you've, you've believed the same thing that the rest of the culture believes. And so you, uh, you, you don't date because what if somebody better comes along? But you, of course, you wouldn't say that because that's like not very Christian and kind of rude. And so what you say is like, I don't want to mess our friend group up. Um, and so I... I don't want to like live your life, but I know your life. Like, like you, I don't want to mess our friend group up. Okay, but you don't have a problem dating somebody from another church who is friends with all the other people anyway, or like you're totally fine with like, we'll just find somebody on Hinge or some other app. And I'm not saying apps are bad. I think it's fine. Knock yourself out. Um, but like cautiously, 
knock yourself out. Uh, but like you do, you do these things or, or like maybe like a little weird, you go through the, like the church group me and like slide into some DMs. Stop that. <laughs> if they are here and you have to message them, stop it. Go talk to them. And so, but why? Like why? The big question for me as I wrestle with this is like, like why? And I 100% believe that you, whether you know it or not, have had the tide of sexual obsession wash over you. And that's lust. You've been poisoned. And you don't even know where it came from. Let me show you what the word lust is. Um, Epithemio is is the word, and it's a compound word. Um, It's a compound word. Epi is like upon, um, or it can mean it can mean to turn upon. Did I spell that right? Yes. Very intimidating to write in front of all of you. Uh, And so, but thumio, this is an interesting one. Thumio is is passion. Now, this is the word you have in your Bible. Um, so, so to turn upon passion, but actually, do you know the, the root word of thumio? The root word for thumio is to kill. And so lust, what lust actually means is to turn upon with intent to kill or consume. The reason that you can't date each other and the reason you're always wondering like if somebody else is, is better is going to come along is because you're not dealing with people anymore. You're dealing with things. And you, you kill and consume things. And so when you've been washed by this tidal wave of sex, of sex obsession and you don't even know it, because you're at church and you read your Bible and you sing the songs and you do all this stuff. The litmus test is, do you see the human in the Imago Dei next to you, the image of God next to you? Uh, it's, it, I'll give you a word picture for this word. The, the word picture is, um, is to think about your favorite food in your most hungry moment. Um, this is lust. When you have your most favorite food in your most hungry moment, you sit down to devour it. And that's the thought that's so common with Christians amongst other Christians that shouldn't be there. How can I consume this person, devour this person? Because they're just a thing. Um, when you... Uh, when you Look upon a woman with a desire, as Jesus said. Let's go back to the, sorry if I'm like scrolling and it's like making you dizzy. Let's go back. When you, when you look upon a woman with lustful intent, your goal is actually to annihilate her. That's what that means, to turn and to destroy her. 
And you say, well, how is that even possible? C.S. Lewis, and I've said it before, has such a great line about like, how is it even possible to look at a woman and think like I own her or she is good enough, she's not good enough, she might be good enough. You've totally lost the Imago Dei in that moment and, and you've turned into this lustful, this lustful pursuer. C.S. Lewis said, if you think about bacon and eggs, you've committed breakfast in your heart. Uh, and so that's like, what's happened? You, you have stopped thinking about them as a person. You've thinking about them as something you can consume. So let's pause. Let's not trick ourselves here. We don't move towards love as we hang out in friends. Like these like groups and like maybe one day this thing will happen. You got to get this right before all of that. The lust doesn't just go away. And, and I'll promise you, like, your heart is like jacked up, and so is mine. Jeremiah 17, 9 through 10 says, the heart is deceitful above all things. Deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? I, the Lord, search the heart and the mind to give every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his deeds. So let's talk about the birds and the bees, or at least the butterflies and a guy named Nicholas Tinbergen. Can I just show you? Can we just show the picture of Nicholas real quick? This is who we're talking about, y'all. Doesn't he look like a nice man? He was a Nobel Prize winner. That was when he was winning his, he got his Nobel Prize. Um, he, we can go back to the, to the one before that. So I was scrolling through, um, I was scrolling through the gram. I do love the gram. Love reels the most. They're funny. Um, I'm not good at making them, but I saw this and I, I follow Fight the New Drug and I saw, there, I saw the, this, this thing from Fight the New Drug and I was like, what is super normal? Um, and it says porn is considered a super normal stimulus. And I was like, what is this? And so I went and I started looking up what is a super normal stimulus. Well, that guy, uh, Nicholas Tinberger, he came up, he coined the phrase supernormal stimulus. So I'm gonna read you a, a couple of things. So a supernormal, supernormal refers to an exaggerated, i.e. superversion or amount of a normal thing. So like normal would be like two people meet each other, they like each other, they date each other, they marry each other. Normal. Supernormal. Somebody looks at porn for 12 years, has thousands upon thousands of images in their head, and therefore cannot make a decision when it comes to a real person. So Tinberger tested whether overwhelming a certain stimulus could change the behavior. So here's what he did. He created these cardboard butterflies, like life-size like life butterflies out of cardboard. And uh, he made these, these butterflies. And he wanted to see if they were attracted, if they'd be attracted. And so, that, so what he did was he colored them and he gave them movement. But he painted the cardboard butterflies with more intense colorings and designed the cutouts to move more regularly. So if you see a butterfly sitting on a plant, Heather and I were walking the other day and I said, look at that butterfly, it was just sitting there. These butterflies moved more regularly and their colors were more intense than the real butterflies. And you just wanted to see if you could give, if, if butterflies would respond to a super normal stimulus. And so, <clears throat> here's what happened. 
He, he painted them, he made the cutouts. When the male butterflies were introduced to the cardboard, they did indeed try to mate with the fakes. Even when actual female butterflies were introduced to the same area, the male butterflies ignored them, continuing to prefer the intensely colored, regular moving cardboard butterflies. Even with living, breathing females close by. Y'all, this should sound like scary familiar. This is part of what is wrong with your lives. People have had so much supernormal exposure to sexual things that even with real humans right beside you, we can't make decisions, can't even talk to each other properly. You can't make this stuff up. So Tinbergen was able to show that when there is a pre-programmed biological reaction to a certain stimulus, that stimulus can be overwhelmed and warped by artificial means. And just like butterflies, human brains have built-in psychological responses to certain stimuli. When we feel, we, we feel hunger when we see food, we feel sympathetic when we see something that is helpless and small. Uh, and so, you know, filmmakers, advertisers, they've known this for years. That's why when you see a certain, a certain color of film, it's, you're drawn to it because they know there are people that are drawn to that hue washed over the film and so on. But look, I want to show you this on the screen. The second half of the experiment, not the making of the butterflies, not the regular movement, not the bright colors. The second half is the scary part. Even when real female butterflies were introduced into the environment, the males continued attempting to mate with the cardboard decoys. Just like the butterflies, if something artificially overwhelms one of these stimuli on a consistent basis, our expectations will change. Jesus is calling us in the Sermon on the Mount to be a part of the flourishing life, to be a part of his kingdom. 1 John 4, 7 through 8 teaches that God is love. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. Whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not know God, anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. Jesus is telling us here that, look, when we look at a woman with lustful intent, we are trying to consume her. That is a sign that we don't really know the full love. We are not living in the flourishing reality of the power of the gospel of Jesus. Look, love says, I know God. And then it says, I see you in the image of God. Love tells somebody, you're not my savior. I don't have to find Superman Jesus or Barbie Jesus. You're not my savior. Love promises to bring life and not take it. But lust is a life taker. Lust says, I have issues with God and his rules. I see you as a thing to consume or discard. I see you as a thing that can satisfy or save me. And I see you as a thing I'll commit to so long as it's good for me. Love, love is actually more like cement, some of you are, work for Brassfield. Some of you work for um, some of the other companies out there. You know, like I've heard you talk about when it's time to, to do a pour for a foundation. You know, the first few days, it's like, don't drive on it. Then after a few days, it's like, okay, you can drive on it. But if you ask somebody who knows construction, who knows cement, they will tell you, oh, it's actually weeks after it's poured. For weeks, it continues to get harder and harder and stronger and stronger. That's what love does. 
It gets stronger over time. Lust decays over time. So many of you, you, you gave your virginity to someone and it was like, in hindsight, it was like that before they broke up with you or you broke up with them. Why? Because lust decays. But love strengthens. Look, even as the people who, sh- uh, love, love is like this, it's stronger and stronger. And, and even as I like go to weddings and stuff and I watch people, Heather and I watched this couple at Colin and Taylor Chance's wedding. They were uh, like 112 um, they, were, they were the first people on the dance floor and they were like getting after it. I mean, like I was like, I want to be that. And like, he might've like popped her high knee or something. I don't know. Like, it was like, I was like that couple, not their first rodeo. Like, you know what? They were ugly. Yo, they were not pretty people. Like, I mean, like nothing was where it used to be. All right. Like, and you know what? They seem like really in love with each other. You think that man forgot like what a young woman looks like? You think she just like was like, oh, he's better looking now than ever. Here's your teeth. Like you think like, no, they didn't forget any of that stuff. But they were so far past the lust and into the love. They knew what gives life and what decays. Uh, I mean, Jesus gives like pretty strong words. If you look at the end of this passage, he says, so, so if that's you if, you, if there's lustful intent in your heart and there's faithlessness in your heart, he says, I mean, he's like pretty serious here. He says to, uh, to tear your eye out and to throw it away. And then he says, if your right hand causes you to sin, he says to cut it off and throw it away. I think Paul, by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, says something very similar in 2 Timothy 2, 2.22. He says, so flee the youthful passions of lust and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. A lot of people read these verses and they're like, oh, the youthful, the youthful desires of lust, as if they like went away. No, no, no. What Paul's saying is these are, these are like sophomoric. These are foolish desires. Not like, oh, like when you hit like 35, they're gone. Not like that kind of youth. These are like stuff that like little kids deal with. Stop it. Paul's saying grow up. Grow out of this. And he tells how. He says, pursue other stuff. And you know what happens when you pursue other stuff? It's like taking a shower when you're really gross. You get washed over with the waves of sexual idolatry and immorality and all the stuff that the culture throws at us. You start pursuing these things, faith, love, peace, along along with others who are doing the same thing. It's like hopping in a shower and after a little while, you may have like, you may have like tar on you or whatever else. You've been like serving Bless the City and you've been like in Clarkson. It's been like, it was a long day. You got gross stuff on. You don't even know what the stuff is. But like you're in there long enough and you scrub long enough and all of a sudden you're like, oh, I'm like totally clean. That's what this is. This is the anecdote. This is the cutting off and the tearing out. So look, we're, we're called to be people who are flourishing And it's real easy to look at this and it's real easy for Satan to spin this and say, God is like the cosmic killjoy. He just doesn't want you to have any fun. Look, let's think about it. God is the one who brings life. 
Sin brings death. Lust is associated with decay. But love is the strongest thing we have going for us. So there is healing to be had. Let's, we, we, let's not live in this delusional, supernormal world, overstimulated world, or settle for like normal. But there's a supernatural flourishing life. And in James 4, 2 through 10, James says, what causes these quarrels and these fights among you? Is it not that your passions are waging war? You desire and don't have, so you murder, you covet, can't obtain, so you, so you fight and you quarrel and you don't have because you don't ask and, and you ask and you don't receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. You adulterous people, lustful people, Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Whoever, therefore, wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you suppose it is to no purpose? There is good news in this passage, by the way. Or do you suppose that it is to no purpose that the scripture says he yearns jealously over the spirit he made to dwell in us, but he gives, listen to this verse six, but he gives more grace. You are not stuck and this is not your identity and this is not who you have to be. He gives more grace. He wants to pull you out of this. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God. So submit to God. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Listen to this. Be wretched and mourn and weep and let your laughter be turned into mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. And by the way, this goes beyond sexual things. This is the reason some of you have bad debt because you lusted and you coveted after stuff. This is the reason some of you have too much money in the bank because you lust and you covet after that. This is the reason some of you will do anything to please your boss. John and Kate, don't listen. Uh, like This is like... The reason, I mean, really, though, like this is, there is like a big, John, I love that. That's funny. Um, Kate did not, though. Um, but no, I just, I'm kidding. Like this, there's, there's, this goes beyond like just sexual stuff. Look, look, we've been, we've been poisoned and we didn't even know it about so many things. And we call them normal. But it's lust and decay. It's coveting and ruin. And there is no freedom in that. The last commandment was, the last of the 10 was, don't covet. And then it gives a list for us to like think through. Is there lust or coveting with my neighbor's house, my neighbor's wife, my neighbor's servant, my neighbor's uh, female servant or male servant, my neighbor's possessions, his ox, his donkey, anything that's his neighbor's. And so Jesus is giving us so much opportunity to flourish in freedom by exposing the sin that has washed over us. But now, I do think there's something bigger going on. So if you just like look at Matthew 6 or Matthew 5 in your Bible, um, partly look because I'm going to scroll and it'll make you dizzy. 
Okay. If you look at the headings, I hope you have headings um, in, your, in your Bible. Like mine, it says Christ came to fulfill the law when it gets to verse, uh, right above verse 17 there. Verse 21, it says anger. And then verse 27, it says lust and divorce. I hope you have those little headings in your, in your Bible. I do not have anything on the screen that says, that like shows any of those, like a screenshot of a Bible or anything, but I did write them down. So Jesus does talk about murder, um, which then he switches to, anger. He talks about adultery, but then he switches that to lust. Um, he, he sticks with the idea of divorce and oaths and retaliation and love of, of enemies. And it's just interesting. Like, I think this might be maybe one of the most brilliant things that I've seen in the scriptures so far. And there's some brilliant things in the scriptures, but you just wonder, there's 613 commands. Why pick out these six? He's good, y'all. Now, I don't know that like it was like caught in the moment, like, oh, I see what he did. In fact, I imagine it probably wasn't, but this is just so fascinating. Now, let's, let's figure this out. So do you remember that, uh, that I was gonna draw this, but the drawing was like real sloppy. I tried it once and I was like, I'll just write words. Um, so do you remember, this, this all goes back to Genesis 3, really. Genesis 3 is the, is the fall account. And do you remember that, um, that Satan was mad at God? He wanted to be God. And so what does he do? Satan gets Eve to lust after that fruit. And then uh, Adam and Eve eat. And so then... Uh, Let's just do this part I didn't practice. I'm sorry. Adam and Eve, I shouldn't tell you those things. Like we should like keep it a mystery. Um, but well, this will be Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve, they had like a super great relationship with the Lord. But after this, their relationship was so fractured that some would call it a great divorce. But in Genesis 3, 6, 3, 3.15, Do you know what God promises? He promises that one day the woman would have a child and that child would crush the head of the serpent. And so in Genesis 3.15, we see this picture of Jesus who always keeps his word, who's always faithful. And then when we, uh, when we get to the, the spot where, um, where, where Jesus is on the cross in Matthew 26, 67 and 27, 32 through 35. This is so interesting. I'll just read you this part about retaliation. You've heard it said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. I'm in Matthew 5, verse 39. But I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, Matthew 26, Jesus gets slapped on the cheek then you turn the other one also. If anyone, if anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. In Matthew 27, they take his cloak and they cast lots for it. And if anyone would force you to go one mile, go with them too. And Jesus has to carry that cross, the extra mile to his own death. And so Jesus never retaliates. And then when we get to the end, what we see is so beautiful. This whole section on love your enemies, and I'm just gonna I'm just gonna read it to you. 
Jesus said, you've heard it said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies, pray for those who persecute you, that you may be sons of your father who is in heaven. He makes the sun rise on the evil and the good, sends rain on the just and the unjust. If you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even tax collectors and sinners do the same? And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even Gentiles do the same? You, therefore, must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. This is the one verse that Jesus quotes. It's actually not a verse. You have heard that it said, you shall love your neighbor. That's a verse. Multiple times in the Old Testament, it talks about love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Do you know that's not a Bible verse? Because the Old Testament said, love your neighbor, people just assume, I guess that means hate my enemy. And Jesus said, no, no, that's not how it works. And so when we get to Luke 23, 34, Romans 5, 8, what we see is Jesus on the cross calling out, Father, forgive them for they do not know what they are doing. What we see when we get to Romans 5, 8 is that while we were enemies of God, Christ died for us. Jesus preached his own gospel in these six statements. And in him, in his gospel, we can have victory and freedom in all of these areas. He ends it with like this really convicting word. He says, Matthew 5, 48, therefore you, and I'm going to read you, I'm going to read you the, the, the line in your Bible. You, therefore, must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. The word perfect is the word teleos. And every time I've ever read that, I thought, impossible. Jesus is like tricking us. But actually, the best translation is Matthew 5.48. Therefore, you shall be whole as your heavenly Father is whole. in the submitted, humble, confessing, repenting life that we have through the grace of Jesus. Matthew 5.48 can be true of all of us by his power and to his glory through his working in us that we might be whole as our heavenly father is whole. There's a, a, a singer, songwriter, poet who's been around for a long time, Sarah Groves, and, uh, and she has a line in one of her songs that really sums up, I think, this section in the Sermon on the Mount. She says, this is grace, an invitation to a beautiful life. An invitation to be beautiful. If lust was totally eradicated by the grace of Jesus in all of our lives. How different would so many of the hospitals and the businesses and the retail places and the Chick-fil-A's and the Home Depot's and the Delta's and all the places where you go, how different if this one thing were eradicated and we were made whole as our Heavenly Father is whole. Jesus is calling out in this passage, this is grace. It's an invitation to be beautiful. So let's not be deceived. Let's confess. Let's grieve what lust has taken from us and what we've given it. 
the supernormal we've absorbed that is killing us. And let's ask God to give us clean hands and clean hearts. And if you don't know this Jesus, it's a great night to call out to him or to speak to one of us about how do I have this beautiful life. Let's pray. Father, I ask that you would move in our hearts, Lord, as we sing and call out to you. I ask, Lord, that you would give us this graceful invitation that is beautiful, Lord, that we might be whole as our heavenly Father is whole. Would you restore the years the locust has eaten? Lord, would we not be consumers and life takers, but life givers? So Lord, would you just move in our hearts? May we have the freedom to confess, call out and repent and ask for help. Because Lord, we wanna be whole as you are whole. It's by the grace and power and the blood of Jesus that I pray, amen.